So today on the podcast, I have Hans-Peter Myers, hopefully I'm pronouncing that all correctly, who I first met as the entrepreneur behind Lyft Comox Valley and now has transitioned to a coaching practice. So I'm just going to let him introduce himself there. Yeah, so that's how I first met you for sure. I met your, I guess I met your dad and then I met you and um, I was running or had started Lyft as a support for entrepreneurs in the Comox Valley now on Vancouver Island. And uh, I guess a couple of years ago, it was just time for me to make a transition out of that. And so now I'm basically teaching yoga and doing coaching. And I have nothing to do with, I mean, I'm again, I'm a startup, I'm an entrepreneur in that space, but I'm not, you know, I, I, uh, I passed on the whole Lyft organization to, uh, to Leaf Jason and, uh, and Sonia Jensen. Right on. And could you just say like, where can listeners find your coaching site? I just want to plug it right off the bat. So if anyone's oh, interested, okay. they can go Thanks find a lot. it. So uh, I do a particular kind of coaching. So my interest is in working with people's, people's uh, masculine and feminine energies. Uh, it's yoga, yoga stuff. Uh, you can find me at sacredbodies.ca. So you can, you can find coaching there. You'll also find, I also do training and, and uh, classes there as well. Awesome. And could you also just give a, so you said like Lyft is a support group for like businesses and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mostly knew it as you run various different like kind of networking events. Um, yeah. Even though I think I would say that they're much more than just a networking event, kind of like community events for local businesses here in the Comox Valley. Well, the intention, if you want me to talk about Lyft, so the intention was to bring entrepreneurs together. So um, that was a neglected sector as far as I could see in terms of getting support and anywhere on the island. Um, I had been working with uh, tech startups in Vancouver a little bit and found that really exciting. And I was excited by the kind of community that I saw happening there. And, and I read about... Uh, I read a great book uh, by Brad Feld called uh, Startup Communities and was involved with Startup Canada. And that just led to hosting networking events, hosting pitch events. We did lots of business development events. Um, and we started in the Comox Valley and start, and then we branched and started including entrepreneurs in Campbell River and the NIMO. Uh, at one point we had people, we had members from Quadra Island to Victoria. So, wow. um, <laughs> but that was, <clears throat> and that was a lot. Um, and that was, um, yeah. um, you know, it was a big thing to bite off and it was very cool what we were doing. But like I said, I, <clears throat> I have nothing to do with that now. And I, I'm, I'm really glad to see Leaf and Sonia, you know, carrying on. Um, but that was, um, I guess the big thing in terms of what I'm doing now is uh, I saw that work is really important. I, I grew up in this area. Yeah. Um, I just saw lots of, my whole life I saw, saw people move here because it was a great place to live, not because there was work or economic opportunity necessarily. 
And then people became entrepreneurs by default. They weren't that, they didn't plan on coming here and being entrepreneurs. They, they planned on moving here and because they want a nice place to live. Yeah. And then they became entrepreneurs. So, and that's, that's happening in communities all across the island. I mean, that's just, yeah. you know, um, so that was why I started doing what I started doing. And, and we had a lot of support from some key um, organizations at the time. And then, um, and then basically for me, it was a case of, of burnout. Like that's a, it was a lot of work to get started. And uh, I uh, had done damage to my, and to my life. <laughs> um, you I know, think any, I, I, any entrepreneur knows the feeling. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's one of the, um, it's definitely one of the risks. And I didn't, I, I didn't meet a lot of entrepreneurs actually who knew how to do that constructively. Certainly not men. I think yeah. there's, um, I think there are some, I know I had some conversations towards the end with a, with a couple of people who were, who were members of Lyft and who, had different ideas about how to do things and they were women and they definitely brought a different perspective to, to the whole startup thing. But it, it, it does have a real macho kind of 24 seven burn your life. Thing. Yeah. And, well, and it's almost like how I, you know, that, <laughs> I hit that wall two years ago. So. Wow. It's definitely, it's fascinating for, for me to see like when I was just talking to Vivian and, I was thinking of people to have on the podcast when I was, and your name came up and she was like, oh my gosh, you got to have hands on because he's like totally pivoted now. So it's super cool to see someone like grow and change like you have into something new. Um, I think that's certainly commendable, at least from my point of view, because I see a lot of people who kind of get kind of have some success with something and then get pigeonholed into it. So but you're kind of, it's funny because you're already touching on like three different questions, which I wanted to ask you. So you're beating me to the punch, but <laughs> um, so do you mind like kind of walking us through, you kind of gave us your motivation and stuff behind Lyft. Like I'm super curious a bit more about what that was like, but I'm also really curious kind of what led you to what you're doing now. So I don't know what you want to touch on first there. Well, <clears throat> yeah, let, let's start with, with Lyft because that that goes back to something that I had actually done sort of 20 years ago. So yeah. uh, as I said, people move here, not because there's work, but because they want to live in a nice place. And then they try to find some way of making it happen. And, and I was born here, but I, you know, I went to Vancouver in my early twenties and uh, went to school. Uh, but by the time my oldest daughter was a year old, my, my wife at the time, she and I and our daughter moved back here and I had some part-time work in the forest sector. Um, but you know, that, that wasn't, that wasn't where I wanted to end up. And, um, yeah. and it, and it wasn't even an option for me at some point. So I had to scramble to find something. So what, what I fell into again, because of this contacts I had made and things that I was seeing was I, I fell into a community economic development project that my thesis supervisor at Simon Fraser university was involved in. Now my, my graduate work had nothing to do with community economic development. Um, it had more to do with cultural development. And so I had this idea that community colleges, could play a role in helping communities learn about change. And so I started something then, it was really small, but 
you know, as when I look back on it, it's very familiar. Like, so I started hosting speaker events. I hosted yeah. workshops, bringing people together to learn from each other. Now that traveled its way. And then I had an accident which changed my life and basically meant that I couldn't do that kind of work anymore. Oh, I yikes. Take, I had to take a, a break from that. But just that from was doing, really... from doing like speaking events and stuff? Mm, or well, just from doing orga- like forestry? Orga- organizing, 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 always organizing and networking and not so different from what I am. So when, you know, so in the interim, I did other things. I mean, I, again, it was always a case of reinvention. So yeah. when I when I returned, when I came back from my accident, then I, then I was working as a researcher and a writer, and then I and, and as a photographer. So that's what I did for a number of years, and and then I got really, and then I was working with these. I was doing social media marketing work. All of that stuff just fit into social media marketing. And this was and, all before uh, Lyft. And this was all before Lyft, and then, wow. <laughs> and then, um, and then I, like as I said, I was working in Vancouver with some people who, who inspired me, or or what I was seeing there inspired me to do something. So then, then I went to the local chamber of commerce and got a lot of support there. There was a lot of support generally. Yeah, just the idea of like promoting local businesses and all that. Yeah, I mean it's a it's it's a no brainer, um, but what we were doing was was different in that we were working with small grassroots business like businesses that they were sexy because they were driven by entrepreneurs who were passionate about whatever they were doing. You know, uh, I mean in the stories. I mean it, it was just for me it was just so great to meet people who were like, who had ideas about things that they really wanted to make happen and, and that I could play some kind of a facilitative role. And that's yeah. really what, what Lyft was about was facilitating. So I, you know, 20 years after the fact, I basically borrowed a format that I had used earlier without really even thinking about it very much. But again, as I said, I was hosting speakers and hosting workshops. So those are all things that I was familiar with. And I was also aware of like how the first time around um, I had burned out, uh, you know, and the second time I did a bunch of things to, to try to mitigate that, but, um, but I wasn't able to, you know, I, I still did the burnout. I, I said, you know, yeah. suffered the consequences of like, it's one of the, it's, it's one of the, um, the challenges of, of being an entrepreneur is, or my observation is that that's one of the challenges. And that's what, that's what I experienced. That's what I saw a lot of people go through is it's, I would get so passionate about what I was doing and supporting, in this case, supporting others and what they were doing. And it just, it seemed impossible to take a break from it. Like it really felt like it was 24 seven. I do really know what you mean. I've run a couple of businesses, nothing nearly as big as what you've done, but growing up around, like my dad's an entrepreneur. Um, his business is a little less on the startup side, but I've kind of been growing up around that kind of energy. And I think the saying that I forget who originally said it, but really rings true to me is that it's more than a full-time job. <laughs> so, and especially well, it becomes your life. Exactly. And a lot of entrepreneurs are like working on the side as well. So it's just, it's such a 
all-consuming thing when people get into it? So if it's consuming all of me, then there's not much of me left for other people. So um, the interesting thing, so I, as I said, basically two, two years ago now, like two years ago in November, I, I hit a wall. It was like, okay, I can't keep working the way I'm working. I had suffered a personal loss a couple of months before, like, yeah. um, and, and, and it was, something's not right here. And, and I, I'm, I'm lucky I've got uh, some, well, one particular wise person in my life. And he had just said to me, you know, you need to slow down. He'd been saying that to me for a couple of years. And at that point <laughs> I couldn't imagine like, how can I slow down? I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm building this thing that, that is really exciting. And it seems to have a, it, well, it's so know, much, always so much easier said than done. Like, yeah, but it was um, exactly. I mean, that was one of the interesting things was conversations with uh, um, with Liz uh, Wooten and, and Heather Evans separately, but about this thing about like how to how to how to be an entrepreneur and still like still be a human being because that's what it you know, that's what it felt like. The choice got to be I can't be a human being anymore. I'm 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 just this thing running this organization and. Um, so as I said, you know, that, that November I hit a wall and, and my friend, I finally took my friend up, my wise friend up on his offer to, uh, to just coach me through some meditation. And it wasn't like I, I was a stranger to that and I wasn't a stranger to yoga. I mean, I'd been doing yoga off and on regularly since I was in my early 20s. Yeah. And even, and even before that, my mom used to do yoga on TV, you know, with the TV people. And as a kid, we used to do it, right? But but it was um, it was then that November that it was I, I you know he coached me through a meditation and I had one of those experiences like oh I actually feel like I'm I'm sane I'm not you know like I'm I I had, like I had an hour or of calm hmm. and and then I just started like on my own just every day I would get up in the morning six o'clock in the morning and I'd light my fire and I'd sit there with my dog and I would just sit, you know, first it was a half hour and then it was an hour. And that was like the best part of my day. And, and as I sat there, it just really became clear to me about what I needed to do. And one of those things was, <laughs> was slow down and it was to stop doing this stuff. And that, that was hard, you know, like, how do I stop doing this thing, which seems to have a life of its own, but I was lucky in that I, and this, I guess this is my, like one of my words of, it's not my, my wisdom. It's, it's, it's um, lots of entrepreneurs wisdom, but you know, create systems so that you can actually step away and that things more or less, don't need constant attention. And I had been doing that. I, I, I had been um, putting that into place. So when I hit the wall, I was actually able to step back and I had people in place to pick up a lot of what needed to be done. So I was able to, I was able to slow down. I was able to unplug. And then over the next couple of months, which were over the, you know, December, January, which is a slow time for us anyway. Yeah. And this uh, is like 2019, like last year or that was, that was 2018. Okay. So it was two years ago. Wow. And, um, 
so I, you know, lucky for me, I, I had put enough, I, and, and surprisingly, I mean, I was a bit surprised because I didn't, and again, this is an observation, I think, for lots of entrepreneurs is that we, there's always so much to do that we, we don't know, we, we don't, we aren't really giving ourselves credit for what we've done. So there's this push to keep doing, keep doing, keep doing, because it, it always feels like it's never enough. So the big surprise for me was that I'd actually done a lot of what I needed to do so that I could basically take a break and slow down. And then when I started to plug in again, what I realized was my heart was not there anymore. Like I just couldn't do it the way I had been. Um, I, because I had slowed down, because I had started to meditate, because I had started to follow a, a, a practice, a yogic practice that had been presented to me several years before, just all these things just kind of was like, okay, now's the time to do this stuff. And as I did it, it was clear to me that this is not, like, yeah, like I said, my heart's not there anymore. And so how do I, like, what happens now? Because, because for me, I was done. Like I, you know, I had a really yeah. hard time, but I had all, you know, like there was a lift community and there were people who were telling me that it was really valuable to them. And, and so I couldn't just walk away. And I had, I remember, um, and when I started lift, I had the support of some really key individuals and they weren't technically partners in what we did but they were i thought of them as you know they were my fellow travelers they were the people who had got me started they were they, they were key sponsors and so we met and I, I told them like guys i am like and it was you know a small group of guys i said i am um i'm toast like i'm i'm so done with this and i i really would like to walk away and uh and their response was great they were they've gone through their own crises in, as entrepreneurs in the last few years and um they were very uh sympathetic and they also said this is too important to just walk away from so let's let's work on a, a transition i was also working with liz wooten and that was super helpful so i, I can't say enough um about uh, Liz's coaching. I'm just going to interject uh, there and say that it's Liz Wooten, and I believe her practice is called Human Nature Development, if I'm remembering correctly. Yep. And I will have to put a link to her site in the description just so we can get that linked up. If anybody's in the Comox Valley, she does just like business coaching and personal development, just so people yeah, have some context. And, and even beyond the, I mean, if anybody has listened to this beyond the Comox Valley, I mean, she works all over the place. Well, that is uh, the but, beauty of the double-edged swords of the times we're in. Is everything's online anyway, so you have the <laughs> the pick yeah. of the nation. So, yeah, and, and so uh, you know, Liz was very important, and and uh, Liz, if you're listening, you know, thank you so much. Uh, um, she was a a huge help uh, in in terms of making the transition and just supporting me through a time when I just felt like I just wanted to walk away. So, I mean, all of this was, you know, like I'm doing what I'm doing now because of that experience. You know, if I didn't have, if I hadn't had that experience, if I hadn't had what was basically a really shitty year in 2018, uh, I wouldn't have hit that wall and hitting the wall was what I needed to get to where I am now. Now, <clears throat> 
I don't know if I'm particularly hard-headed. Um, I think uh, most of the entrepreneurs that I work with are, we tend to get tunnel vision really fast. <laughs> that definitely is true. And, uh, you know, I, I and, and, and have a hard time hearing what, or seeing what, what's in front of our eyes. So, like I said, the, you know, my wise friend had been telling me to slow down. I, I didn't know or I couldn't imagine how to do that. Um, I did know that I needed to put systems into place. So that was one thing that I started to do. As I said, when I, when I did slow down, I realized that, these, that there were some, some systems were actually supporting things. Um, there were people around who were uh, willing to help. And, and I started moving down my path, which was to get training in, in what I'm doing now. And that, you know, one of the ironies for me was that the training I did, this, uh, you know, the yoga instructor stuff, the, uh, the coaching kind of stuff that I'm doing was all about becoming more sensitive and more willing to be vulnerable. And I, I look back at that and I, I looked at, you know, my trajectory with, as I worked on Lyft was in some ways to become less sensitive, like to get thick skin, you know, like to, to suffer rejection and suffer setbacks and failure or whatever, and, and just keep pushing. And what I was learning was that I needed to actually get a thinner skin. I, I needed to be more sensitive because by, by, and this, I guess, again, is my, you know, little tip or insight for entrepreneurs is the more you, it's just like the job description is, you know, get tunnel vision, focus on your product or service or whatever, you know, deliver it, make it, you know, better, better, better. Um, but at the same time, we need to be really sensitive to what's happening on the edges. Um, because in terms of my life, that's way more important than what the product or the service is. And I think as entrepreneurs, we get really, we can get really fixated on our, you know, whatever our passion is, you know, we tie ourselves so closely to that, that we, we miss some of the other things that we actually can be learning along the way. So again, one of my, things that I could have been learning was to slow down. Like what would have happened if I would have actually slowed down, pursued the same, you know, the same service, but done it in a way that allowed me to have a life and that where I actually found some way of slowing down. Like that's, that's an interesting question for me. Um, it's one of the things that came up in conversations with both Liz and with Heather, you know, because we lift membership at that time was overwhelmingly female and a huge part of that, I would have called them mompreneurs. So they were, huh. they were women, women who were focused that their primary focus was raising children. They often had very young children and they had something they wanted to do and they did it off the edge of their day. Um, and and they you know they couldn't afford to do the kinds of things that lots of us guys were doing which was basically burn our lives because 
they weren't going to burn their kids. Um, I mean, I'm sure kids get get burned and those kind of things sometimes, but but what I saw was was women who were actually walking a really different entrepreneurial path than the kind of entrepreneurial path that you see celebrated in the in the um, in the media, you know. So. So that was an interesting, you know, that, that was something that Liz brought up. Uh, Heather brought it up in a different way, but, um, and that was something that, that at that point, so that was a year and a half ago, that I was interested in pursuing was like, so what, you know, what might that look like? What, what might Lyft do to, you know, support those particular kinds of entrepreneurs more than we had been? And what can we learn from what they're doing that would help more traditional male tunnel visioned entrepreneurs. Uh, because all of us suffer when we, you know, when, when all we're interested in is our product or I didn't, I didn't run into too many entrepreneurs who were just motivated by money. Yeah. Most of the most Lyft members that were more interested in, like they, they had a good idea and they wanted to see it happen. But uh, but I ran into lots of I mean I, I I did and I still do run into lots of particularly men who are focused on making lots of money to the expense of everything else and it doesn't really matter what it is I think it's just if we if we get that kind of tunnel vision then um, uh, everybody suffers. I certainly relate to what you're saying and it's kind of fascinating for me because like I'm <laughs> I've run a couple of businesses and done my little thing here and there but I'm like currently in the process of putting in my applications to business schools and stuff and kind of figuring out what I want to do with my life and that whole um, end of high school pressure. <laughs> but it's, it is certainly brings very true to me what you're saying about how I wouldn't even go say just entrepreneurs, but so many people I feel get so tunneled vision into things like money. Um, I think it's really interesting to hear the lift. I mean, I definitely, it's not that surprising to me having been to um, one meeting, but when you think of entrepreneurs, we often think of people who are the kind of like Silicon Valley startups, like super tunneled vision in onto money as per se. So it's kind of cool to hear that it's, you attracted a much different demographic than the typical kind of like white diet, white guys coding with their keyboard kind of things. So that's really cool to yeah. hear, but. Well, that's an interesting, um, you know, like that really is one of the, um, I think, problems with how we think about entrepreneurs, period, and maybe how we think about our economy. Um, so, you know, I come from a, <clears throat> did a lot of work in community economic development, which means it's not about money, it's about building, I mean, we need economic sustenance or some way of surviving economically, but what are the community values? Like that's a, community economic development is about building from values rather than about, you know, how do we, tear all the trees up and make as much money out of the trees as you can or, or whatever it happens to be. <clears throat> so it seemed to me that what, and it seems to me generally that what women show us men is a really different way of doing lots of things. But in terms of building businesses, I mean, and there have been lots of, there are lots of examples of women who are doing the traditional, what you just described, you know, but they're hugely underrepresented in Silicon Valley. And yet, if you, if you actually did like a startup survey of pretty much any community on the Coma and on, on Vancouver Island, 
and I would imagine anywhere else. And as a sidebar, I mean, that's why micro-loan micro agencies target women in developing countries is because women are doing community economic or economic development based on family value, on supporting their families and their, their extended families. So they're basically, they're doing community economic development and they're often, you know, they're not, they're not inventing like rocket ships or <laughs> brand new technology or something. They're often finding ways to deliver much needed services in new ways. So, you know, one of the things that where this started for me with, with Lyft, but also with the previous work that I'd done 20 years ago was frustration with an existing model of economic development, which was not community driven, which was, was an old school way of looking at how, how do you, how do we build businesses? And and there's so much there's so much information and so many examples of 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 really cool community economic development and and I will say I think probably the leaders in all of this stuff are are women so hmm. uh, you know again what Lyft did that was different than lots of other organizations is we there was no there was no threshold. Like you did not have to make so much money to be part of it. I mean, you have to pay enough money to have fees, but even then sometimes we would waive fees for some people because they were just so, so start up. And, and I just felt like, wow, like you, your energy, like your enthusiasm and what you're doing and how you're doing it needs to be part of this mix. So, uh, and I know that, that uh, traditional economic development bodies have no interest in that level of entrepreneur because they just don't generate enough money to, you know, those economic development bodies are serving, they've got, you know, check boxes for local government funding or federal government funding or provincial funding. And unless they include that, that really low level, low threshold kind of stuff, they're not going to get service. So in hindsight, again, I look at that and I go, that, that was cool. Like we, I think about some of the people who won PitchFest, you know, um, I think we had, you know, one of them was a hand-sewn feminine products business and bluebird pads. Uh, I think uh, one was a doula, a doula, you know, a, a single, a woman who was, uh, I had a doula business. Um, you know, again, these are not um, these are not big, sexy things. Yeah, they're not getting on the cover of Forbes magazine, but they're probably no. making the community a better place for a lot of people in a much smaller way that isn't quite so flashy. So, well, it's not even like a lot of people. It might have just been helping like a few people. So the uh, and I haven't followed up with this, but uh, when all of a sudden there was a demand for masks locally so when that first happened in the springtime i mean i just i, I asked the bluebird people i said are you guys making maps because i know they were sewing they, they had all these and their way of doing again their, their way of doing this was not to create a factory for sewing it, it was to have a bunch of 
women again uh, with sewing machines out uh, <laughs> doing it, right? So so they were working when they could, you know, they, they might have had kids to look after, they might have had another job, they might have had whatever happening, but so they would just do it, you know, as they could. And, and so I'm not sure if it was my suggestion or whatever, but all of a sudden I see Bluebird Pads has masks available. And to me, that's an interesting, that's a, that's an interesting pivot. So they've, they've built up a capacity, you know, an industrial capacity based on a, um, um, I can't remember what that, you know, it's a piecework system, but it's also, yeah, I can see how that could transition pretty well right into masks. Like, but, but, but it could do all kinds of things, you know, like this is again, the Brooke from uh, Wags doggy bags, um, which is another one of my favorite uh, entrepreneur stories is partly because I'm a dog person, but you know, she had this idea of well, you guys are wet, dirty dogs. You you create a bag that you put them in that they're comfortable in. They dry in it. They leave all the debris in it. And when <laughs> an hour or so, you take them out of the bag. And that's an amazing idea. Yeah, well, it's super. And and uh, you know, this winter I I had two. All of a sudden, I had, I had two wet dogs with long coats. And so I went online, and yep, sure they they were ready. So I think I was her first customer or one of her first customers. And I I love the product, but Again, the cool thing was, you know, this was somebody who it wasn't like she had a lot of money to to um, make this happen. She had an idea. She had this idea uh, also of production being dispersed, um, you know, that there would be sewists all over the place. So, so I, don't, I don't know where that's at, but that was. There's a lot of really interesting approaches that we could take on the island to bolstering economic activity, but none of it looks really big or really sexy. So it's not gonna get attention from agencies. Um, and I mean, what I did was what I seem to keep doing, which is like, I have an idea and then I just persist. Something happens and when it works, it's really, it's really exciting. And it usually <laughs> exhausts me. <laughs> um, so I'm trying now not to do that. So now I, so now I teach, uh, so I do, I do this coaching and I do this teaching and I use the, the all the, you know, the tools that I've learned, the things that I learned in, in my series of startups that I've done and particularly the social media marketing, you know, we were lift every year would win like, best social media organization, blah, blah, blah. Partly because we were the only social media organization and we were the only member organization that really focused on marketing our members. Um, but just taking those tools and then learning how to, so I do live yoga classes there. Every week there's, there's a live yoga class that's free. Um, and that's part of the, you know, the sales funnel, the marketing funnel is like, offer stuff for free, people start getting interested, they might sign up for a series, they might sign up for coaching. But I, um, what I realized the other day was I really don't care if anybody signs up for anything. <laughs> so I am free to do what I, what I believe I need to do and not be constrained by 
some idea that I have to have a certain mark, you know, like a, a size market or have people sign up. And, and, um, I think that was to go, you know, to go back to lift. I think that was one of the, the challenges. Cause that's the, you know, that's again, the traditional, uh, startup entrepreneur challenges, you know, is it going to make money? Is there a market there for, yeah. for what I've got? And, and sometimes I think we just need to do what feels like the right thing to do. And, and, um, and just trust that. Well, I almost feel like it's interesting here. You've left me so many things that I want to touch on now, but <laughs> the issue is always, we only have so much time, but I definitely hear what you're saying. And I think that what a lot of people think of, of entrepreneurship these days is a very certain kind of like what I would consider more startups, like the whole, I don't know, any of the Silicon Valley stuff where it's very explicitly, we're going to make this idea as fast as we can. We're going to test if it can make money as fast as we can. Or in many cases, we're just going to worry about engaging as many users as we can and then try to make money. And it's just a very different approach to the more holistic kind of small business like trying to solve a problem in your community kind of approach um, for better or for worse. I don't think, I don't think most businesses in communities actually try to solve problems for communities. So this is another thing is that there are, there are people. Um, it's not my word, um, social entrepreneurs. So people who are really good at bringing things together, whether it's money or people, uh, to solve problems within the community. So an example of that would have been 10 years ago, let's say downtown Courtney, uh, maybe it wasn't that long ago, but somewhere around there, downtown Courtney was, had a number of vacancies. Yeah. And uh, the local economic development body really was not responding. Um, so who responded were some Uh, people I know who I would call social entrepreneurs, but they're more, more cultural entrepreneurs. So they they started uh, a festival. It became an annual festival for a number of years. Of it started in the alleys of downtown Courtney. Uh, cultural events happening in Courtney one day, and the merchants of downtown Courtney just like wow, they hadn't had that kind of excitement in Courtney since. I don't think any of them could ever remember actually, <laughs> that kind of energy yeah. uh, because, you know, the downtown Courtney had, had, had gone through some with the, when the, the Driftwood mall was built in the seventies, that, that was the change things when the, you know, Walmart Anfield center was built that, that you know, those things have all had an impact on downtown. So these elevate the arts, it was called elevate the arts was, and a community economic development thing generated not by people who, who were looking to make any money out of it or even, in fact, that was one of my challenges to them was like, you know, like what you're doing has value. How do you actually make that? But anyway, that was not that, you know, they, they chose to do it their way and they were very successful and they ran it for a number of years and brought a lot of attention to downtown and whether that was part of downtown all the vacancies disappearing or I, I don't know, but I think when we look at entrepreneurial activity and relate it too much to 
to markets and in and, and dollars like i don't know how how to how we get away from that but but i know we need um a different factor in that mix or a different way of measuring and again you know like like we can look at you know what women are doing you know mostly women in this mompreneur sector and, and stuff like that is so many of them are bringing val a values like a a human values value valuation um that that's part of the mix so it isn't just money and um and and i don't i don't see uh i mean i i think we're i think we're going to start seeing that change i think i think the old school especially with things like attention to climate change like we're going to start seeing you know there are people who are valuing forests for example for their ability to store carbon so all of a sudden it's possible to think of our forests as maybe being more valuable as carbon sinks than as timber or lumber um when that starts to happen all of a sudden our remote communities become potentially incredibly wealthy um I know 20, 20, 20, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, there was research that had started in, in looking at non-timber values in the forest, and that was a that was way ahead of its time. But but again, you know, we're gonna that's gonna start becoming more important now, and the people who are tuned into that. So one of the examples is uh, harmonic arts. You know harmonic arts. Absolutely, I do. I've only met the guy who runs it once or twice, but I've um, over the last couple of years always has an interest in mushrooms. So I've always thought that it was cool that there was someone already doing like tinctures and stuff like that in the Comox Valley. So right, and they're they're big, you know. Yeah, but, no, I've uh, always been surprised. Like I'll run into them online every now and then. It's super cool that we have like such a big thing. Just you never guess it's in Cumberland, but there you go. So he is, or that business. It's not just him they are bringing you know they're they're taking value from the forest that's non-timber like we, 20 years ago 30 years ago nobody would have thought that you could run that size of a business based on that kind of stuff i think we're going to see more and more of that just like we've seen so one of the things that 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 struck me in, in the lift work was and I should have been more tuned into this, but I, I was like amazed at how many of our members and and beyond that, I mean, it wasn't just our members, the whole, um, uh, I guess what I, you know, what I'm part of now, the, the whole wellness entrepreneur sector, uh, wellness slash lifestyles, but, but, but mostly health and wellness stuff. How many people are here, you know, uh, doing retreats how many people are here you know there's just, just the basic services like massage counseling coaching whatever <clears throat> but then they get into retreats and stuff and again now we're using you know this locale or another locale and its value is in its uh, non-developed or relatively undeveloped you know more pristine um, nature well i definitely know what you're saying and i think like 
I think one of the, at least for me, one of the best examples of how you can clearly show inarguably the value just leaving forests and stuff alone can have is if you look at somewhere like the town of Cumberland, where it went from, since I've moved here, it's always been this like more well-known, like people want to live there, but it went from, I've heard people refer to it as, oh, back in the day, we used to call it Scumberland because it was a bunch of kind of hippies and dirtbags and just people who a lot of the like richer people moving from the mainland wouldn't want to associate with. And because of that kind of classic gentrification with the forest and the mountain bike trails, for those who are not in the know, Cumberland has like world-class mountain bike trails that have slowly been built out because of that town. It's now gone from kind of the outskirts to like a fully thriving community that's like one of the most popular places for people to settle down in the Comox Valley. So I think there's not a better example than somewhere like that, or even like Mount Washington, where you can clearly see the value of having forest has. Um, yeah, so that's so that, that, that's a good point. So, I mean, Cumberland is a is a great example of a community economic development approach that was not taken officially. This was uh, people in the community who started to organize to protect the forest around their community. And so now there's this, I mean, I, I, you know, I was up there yesterday. We were, I won't say we were lost because we knew where we were. <laughs> we knew where we were. We didn't I know, know the where feeling. the trail was. Yeah. <laughs> but it's huge up there. And, and that's, again, it's a, it was a handful of individuals who were social entrepreneurs who, I mean, I kept saying to them, you guys are doing community economic development. You guys are doing community economic development, you know, and, and and I saw a value, even though I don't live in Cumberland, I mean, we benefit, I, I live in Courtney, we benefit from Cumberland being this amazing place. And they've been, what's been happening there isn't just the, um, isn't just the, um, the forest, but for years, it's been attracting, again, people who wanted a cheap place to live, who were wanting to spend time on making art and making music and doing other funky stuff and now they're you know there's this funky town and um people travel to cumberland for the music um people travel to cumberland for the mountain biking uh, and and like yeah it's, it's exciting i mean my kids you know when they when they think about where they would like to live Definitely not Comox because Comox is like old people. <laughs> yeah, and um, and Courtney maybe, but like Cumberland's a sexy place. It really is. Although and, it'll be interesting to see. I do wonder, like in ten years or something, because I think a lot of the more certain people in that community are kind of getting pushed out because, like, the problem with gentrification is the way it goes yeah. is like the hippies and dirt bags and artists and stuff like that, which I. I when I say dirtbag, I mean that as a loving term. I don't want to <laughs> <laughs> offend anybody, but it always cracks people up. No, but like those kind of people who are the ones who are actually going to go out and build trails and do fun stuff other than just work a nine to five job usually can't. By the time they've done all that work, it's kind of sad because they often end up getting pushed out because the people who want to go mountain biking weekends and stuff are like, well, this is where it's happening, and they can afford to spend the however much on house and all that. But so. This is what I think is interesting about Cumberland. And it's so at one time, you know, before I was, when I was young, before I was young, 
so much of what happened at community happened be, be, because there were clubs like the Elks Clubs or the Lions Clubs or the Loyal Order of Water Buffaloes, if you were a Fred Flintstones watcher. Um, <laughs> You know, and, and they were opportunities to get together and have fun, but they also did things. So things got built that were outside of what government might do and certainly outside of what a business would do because there was no business rationale. So Cumberland is, so that's, you know, a lot of the cool stuff that we see in our communities on the island is, is old is stuff that, that, that's put in by those organizations. In a place like Cumberland, the, uh, something like their their whole back, uh, the off-road, uh, mo the mountain bike scene, yeah, is built by those grassroots people. So you're right. Economically, those people, you know, that their gentrification could push them out, but they are, they're actually running a show. So. You know, the, the, the people who are in charge of the museum, the, you know, the, the, the museum. Yeah. Players, well, the, even uh, like the, just the mountain bike trails themselves, I'm, it's really impressive. Um, I mean, it still has a lot of work there. Like there's still the Comox Valley, sorry, the Cumberland Forest in many places is still actively being logged. Um, so, but, I'm, but honestly, like compared to so many communities, there's such a support for the mountain bikers there, just because I think a lot of people have kind of, it's pretty obvious, like since the town was built on it, people realize the economic value. So I think a lot of the but original even before people. That, even before that. Yeah. So this, so this is, this is what I think is special about Cumberland and, and was special about Black Creek and Courtney and, you know, any other places is that those, the, the people who are in what, the, the social entrepreneurs, the, um, that, the, end, the nonprofit sector, those people who are doing stuff like building trails, not be, they're not doing it because of community economic development, they're doing it because they want to ride. And then they'll do it because their kids will want to ride. Just like, you know, like, you know, if, if you're involved in like uh, uh, softball or in ball in the Comox Valley, there's a huge ball scene. I don't really know it, but it's just it's crazy how big it is. And these people do it not because no anybody's going to get rich. They do it because they want to play. So that's what I, that that kind of grassroots, and I'm going to call it social entrepreneur stuff, because I know some of these people, and they're very entrepreneurial in terms of how they raise money and how they see where this is going. And I see them raising their kids that way. So, yeah, there's going to be an issue with people. We're going to lose. We, we may not lose those people because they're already here. But we're not going to attract the next generation of those people. You know, so I know people who bought a house in Cumberland. Like when I was in, when I was tree planting, I knew fellow tree planters who bought a house for $15,000. When a house anywhere else in the valley would have been like a hundred thousand. Yeah. So, so that's not going to happen again. So we're, you know, we've lost that. Like that, I shouldn't say we've lost that, but that's we're that's that's gone. So then, as a as a community, and I think Cumberland is also going to show us some some things because there's enough people there who are aware of this that we're going to start seeing probably in more interesting affordable housing options in a place like Cumberland than we're going to see in Comox. Or even Courtney, so you know, I'm I'm pretty optimistic about uh, Cumberland's future in in that sense because I think that the the social entrepreneurs who have 
done the things to make it what it is, or done a lot of things, like not everything, but a lot of things, have are, are pretty smart people, and they are looking at things in a in a very entrepreneurial way. But but the what's driving them isn't money, but uh, community values and values of inclusion, the kind of stuff you're talking about. You know, how do we how do we how do we attract artists when our house prices are crazy? Well, <laughs> no, like you, you want people who are just happy kicking around in their studio all day because that's that's how they're going to make art. They're not going to make art if they're working all day at the factory and then coming home within them. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I think it'll definitely be interesting to see where Cumberland ends up. And who knows if I'm still podcasting in 10 years or something. Maybe you'll have to <laughs> check back in or something. But I, that does well, kind of... That, that, I, that, that would be an interesting project. You know, as to... As to um, this is one of the things I said to uh, Startup Canada several years ago was... Um, I can't remember the term we used, but it, it was the, the cultural entrepreneurs. So that's you know that's a huge part of what of what makes lots of the island certainly the, the the chunk of island between Campbell River and let's say Nanaimo uh, tick is uh, focus on the potters the painters uh, you know the, the people who are doing that kind of stuff again this is a individually they're they're not making tons of money they don't attract a lot of attention from traditional economic development bodies because no one's going to get rich by promoting them, but, but they're a really important part of what, what our communities, uh, how we see ourselves and what, yeah. And it's going to be interesting that, you know, the whole response to the pandemic, you know, like we. Well, it's like a whole another can of worms, but yeah, just being yeah. conscious of the time, there's one question that I really <laughs> wanted to ask you. Um, cause I'm kind of curious about, so, um, in today's day and age, every, it's interesting to me, I'm always a, like very respectful and kind of interested when people are using anything like feminine or masculine terms or anything like that, because I, I definitely think that that's a very real and valid thing, but I know some people are, <laughs> get very like, I don't know if uptight's the right word, but are not so into the idea of having. Um, I guess gender roles is the best way to put it or any notions that so I'm kind of curious if you could talk more about like when you say masculine energy or feminine energy and stuff like what does that mean to you because I kind of have yeah. like what I've seen kind of and stuff that just like anecdotally I feel like most people kind of feel but it's always interesting when people are putting themselves out there and being like this is what I'm working with it can kind of backfire in some ways for people today there's a lot of resistance to traditionally defined notions of what masculinity and femininity are. Absolutely, you know, uh, those were, and there's lots of reasons and lots of really good reasons to be suspicious of, of those kind of labels. So the way I use it, and, and I mean, I'm just basically using it the way my teachers use it, is it has nothing to do with what you're your, how your body is gendered. So you may have a penis, but that doesn't mean you identify mask as a masculine. You may have a vagina, and that doesn't mean you ma identify uh, feminine. So there's, you know, there's how there's how what there's what our bodies are, 
physically, and then there's the kind of energy that moves in our body. So from where I come from, there's there's a we work with polarities. So it's like uh, for every action, there's a reaction. When there's positive, there's negative. When there's dark, there's light, and there's a play between them. So for lack of a better word, all of us contain masculine and feminine energies and they have certain qualities and i'm not going to get into that right now but those are like shorthands and they they're not really all that important until it depends on how you identify so if i'm a masculine identified man then what i what will um interest me in a romantic and a sexual way is is somebody who's in a feminine identified somebody who's who's a woman is in a woman's body and is feminine identified now that's just because i'm heterosexual and but my idea of what my masculinity is is defined by my particular mix so I'm always, you know, I, I'm looking for my polarity. Like if you look at, if you think about magnets, you know, and it's, they're not absolutes. It's not like, well, this is what masculine is and this is what feminine is. Yeah. It's more like we're some kind of mix of that energy and we're looking for the, the our complementing polarity. So if we're not paying attention to that kind of stuff, we often find ourselves disappointed because we're not, we're not feeling the, 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 we're not feeling the energy, the, the, the fire of life that comes from being in your polarity. So in terms of uh, your, your, your sexual romantic attraction to somebody, um, you might have lots of, so I'm a masculine identified man and I have lots of women friends, but my, my, my relationship to them is more like, like we're more similar than we are different. So energetically, we're just, you know, we share something. So we have a good time together and we can be together, but there's not that kind of chemistry or that, that, that energy. So that's what this, this work is about. It's, it's about like finding where, where, you know, where I am, because a lot of this is really like what I learn, I try to teach and what I, what I, what I teach is what I'm, in lots of ways teaching myself is that the the really beautiful things in life come from creating space for this thing called feminine energy whether that's in me or whether that's in a in a, in a, in a woman's body but i have to so my 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 the masculine energy is about consciousness and that's about holding space and not so much about doing, but about creating a safe space for the feminine, for the feelings, for this energy that's always in motion, for it to actually move safely so that then we can experience things like love, like beauty. And again, I, you know, my focus is on, is on what's happening in me. How am I grounding myself so that I can actually feel my own feminine energy and make that safe. So hmm. you know, when am I, when am I afraid? When am I happy? When am I, 
you know, when am I experiencing joy? When am I experiencing love? When am I experiencing the need to protect myself? To actually be so grounded in myself that I can allow myself to feel all that stuff and not have to do anything about it, but just let it move. And the problems come when I, when I try to st shut that down. So, and you can see that in, in, in the world at large, you know, there's a whole lot of energy and feeling stuff that needs to happen. I mean, we just saw so much of it in the, in the states around you know black lives matter like there was just so much stuff that needed to be expressed and felt and the response for example on, on the side of the state or on people on any of us could have been okay i can hold the space i can let you ex express this stuff and i can learn from it and just let you move and let you be or i can try to shut you down because it's so uncomfortable so that's a kind of macro way of looking at these energies. Um, and the micro way of looking at it is, you know, all of us grew up with some kind of trauma. I mean, some people experienced profound trauma. Some people, you know, their trauma was that they didn't get the pony for Christmas. But all of us, you know, interpret growing up in some kind of way as trauma. And, and then we spend the rest of our lives, unless we're really lucky, we spend so much time in our lives protecting ourselves from feeling that trauma. So this, this work is about, uh, particularly the, the stuff that I do around sacred masculine, what I call the sacred masculine is a grounding, creating capacity in my body to just safely feel my traumas, big or little, you know, imposed from outside and the ones that I create. I mean, it's just all kinds of stuff. And just letting it move without feeling like I need to shut it down. Hmm. And once I'm able to do that safely for myself, then I'm gonna be safer for the women and kids around me. So, you know, one of the, the reasons I do this, I have, I have some important uh, females in my life. So I have two daughters. I have a granddaughter now. I have a mother, I have a sister. The safer I can be, the more grounded I can be, the more likely any of those women are gonna feel, or be able to feel safe and to just be who they are. And sometimes that being who they are makes absolutely no sense to me. And that's when I'm, <laughs> and that's the conundrum of the, you know, the masculine confronting the feminine is that, you know, sometimes we don't, we, this energy just, it, it's, it's a polarity and, and, and to the extent that it's a polarity, it's probably the most incomprehensible. Like the more polarized, the more opposite you are from me, the more attracted I am, and also the more I really will probably never really understand. But I do understand that I need to make space for that. And that instead of being frightened by it, and instead of trying to control that, and instead of trying to make it understandable, I'm better off just holding that space, letting it move, 
and thinking of it more as a, as an ener as a dance of energy, as something that's moving and learning how to appreciate that as something that is not only good for me to allow to move, but it's very nourishing and even beautiful. I definitely... But, so that's a saying... long answer to you. Yeah. <laughs> and it really has nothing to do with gender. Well, I definitely appreciate it. And I think... I do think like there's a little bit of... Well, what you're saying about gender, like I definitely think most people these days can agree that it's what you're saying about masculine or feminine. Like, I think we can all agree. It doesn't necessarily have to be dependent on um, your physiological sex. Like that can be different than how you identify, but it definitely, like I haven't heard some of the words have used put on things, but it, it feels to me, at least from what I've seen in my 17 or so years is it does kind of feel like in our culture, masculinity in particular has been very twisted almost so it's interesting to hear when you're saying like holding space and stuff, so much of what I feel like people associate with masculinity and stuff is almost doing the opposite. It's the whole like <laughs> being all macho and like stuff those feelings down and um, I don't know, like boys don't cry or all that kind of artificial toughness. And I do kind of feel that while, at least for myself, like a lot of that stuff, it does kind of frustrate me when some of that's almost shun these days i do think that it's a lot of it's kind of been twisted into something where it's almost masculinity from a place of fear instead of what it sounds like more like you're saying well i i think that that's like 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 i don't know about you you know but my as i was growing up if i would have thought about masculinity and how i identified i looked around at the men around me and I may have loved many of them, but they were assholes, <laughs> you know? I mean, they were, not, they were not good to the women around them, you know? And not necessarily even good to the children around them. So, you know, that, I mean, definitely, the, and, and, and the idea of, you know, a traditional idea of what, of what the feminine is would have been, you know, colored in a similar way, you know, enabling that kind of masculine bullshit. So, you know, what's happening right now, or what I see happening is there is a, and I, I'm going to just borrow from what one of, one of my teachers says, you know, like we, for some of us, and certainly my generation, so I grew up, you know, the masculine that I grew up with was what, what I've called a, a toxic masculinity. It would be all about, you know, <laughs> how does this serve me? I, I am the, you know, I'm the one who makes sense of stuff. And most of what women bring me is just nonsensical. And it has to serve me somehow. And if you start doing nonsensical shit, then I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it's not, it has no value or even worse. Somehow I'm going to like shut it down mostly because it freaks me out because all that stuff resonates in me, you know? Like when you see a woman cry, part of you wants to cry. And if you've been raised that that's weakness, that, that's a hateful thing. You, know, you do not like that part of yourself. So that's how lots of us were raised. And then you know, as, as a response to the second wave of feminism, which you know, happened in the mid to late 60s, 
and I certainly experienced this, you know, like basically we, we rejected all that masculine stuff and we became much more, you know, feminine identified, which was a really good thing in lots of ways, but it also cut us off from something that's really important to who we are. So, you know, what, what's happening now is I see lots of men, not enough, but lots of men going, you know, there is an, there is, let's let's use this word as an honorable there is a there is a healthy way to be masculine but what is it like where are the models i was just gonna say i think that's i not to i don't know if it's necessarily feminine's fault or sorry feminisms i can't speak apparently (laughs) although in some ways i think some of that unintentionally had those consequences but it does really feel like growing up many of those role models have kind of been lost. And I don't know if you listen to podcasts at all, but like the very controversial Joe Rogan experience or any of those, there's like a whole world of those kind of masculine figures. Um, I think Jordan Peterson's another one I can list off the top of my head that have just become immensely popular with young men, I think because they kind of fill that need that so many men are kind of feeling. Because I, I, I totally resonate with what you're saying, where in, in many ways, like if you're a young man growing up, a lot of guys are in many ways, just total assholes. But there is definitely in some other guys a kind of denial of that masculine side, which I don't think is really any better, at least to me. So it's kind of interesting to hear how you're saying that. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, we've been pretty privileged as men, and particularly as white men, but let's just talk about men, you know. Uh, So we, lots of us don't want to like the lessons of feminism, some of those lessons were really blunt. I mean, you weren't around in the in the seventies and eighties. No, um, <laughs> definitely and, before uh, my time. It was an interesting time to be in relationships. Um, so lots of us softened, and but but that didn't really get us to where we wanted to be. So then you have this this backlash of like, okay, be real men again. Well. I don't know, like there's always gonna be mass kind of, or popular reactions to, to stuff. And it's definitely not feminism's fault. Um, just like, you know, traditional mid-century masculinity was not, you know, feminism, it wasn't that fault that feminism, the second wave emerged, but, but it was because of that, you know, like, and that's just, we're just trying to figure this stuff out. You know, we've gone from, uh, uh, in, 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 a, in the space of like 150 years, uh, less in some cases, we've gone from very traditional communities where things may have been more natural, although there were always people who, who suffered in, in traditional communities, to you know the, the, the very toxic versions of that in, in industrial cultures and and now some of us are exploring like what comes next and you know the 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 stuff that i'm teaching is like it's really old like some of the stuff is like two or three thousand years old it's the the idea that we that we have these energies within us and we happen to be born in certain kinds of bodies the most, most important thing is like that, that we have these energies within us and how do we, how do we work with them? 
and then and then what does that mean as we go out so like i said to you as if i if i do this work on you know what's called resetting my nervous system my capacity to feel without feeling like i need to do anything like that's a big one like like us guys yeah definitely and, <laughs> you know we see everything as a problem so if I'm upset or if my woman is upset, then I'm somehow I need to do something about it. But mostly what I need to learn to do is just, oh, like just honor. I don't know how to use that word. <clears throat> I just need to hold the space for that upset and then see where it goes and be and stay present, like stay present with myself as well as her, you know, and I see it mostly now with you know, with my kids and, and my, my granddaughter now, like, like, stop making it about me. You know, that person's upset is not about me. They, they've got some feelings and I don't need to be threatened by that. And I don't need to take charge. I don't need to do anything except for be present. That's really all that the feminine, whether it's within me or it's in a woman's body and that's really all they need is for me to be present to witness that and if i'm strong in that like not like not um take charge fix things kind of thing but strong in terms of like yeah you can you know you can be that storm and i'm not going to take it personally like that would be my advice to any young man is like, yeah, the closer you get to women, the more you're going to experience the storm, the safer you are, the better the man you are, the more storm you're going to feel. And that is like, count that as like, it's, it's hard. You know, it's hard when that storm is like, whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, I, you know, why are you saying these things to me? Why? You know, like, just it's like, it's not about you. In fact, you know, the safer she is, the safer she feels with you, the more she's going to bring up the stuff that's, that's been hurting her. And, and, and women have generations of hurt to lay on our doorsteps. So there's all kinds of what I would call reactionary, you know, masculinity, like, I'm not going to say who those people are, but who are like, just, you know, like, you got to be a real man or some kind of thing like that. I would say, you know, being a real man is your capacity to hold space and let other people feel things without taking it on as your problem. Not, you know, like just being there, letting them feel stuff. And when they're ready, they're going to ask for what they need. They won't need you to fix it. But that's hard. And that's why I teach what I teach. Well, I think that is an awesome place to end it. I totally resonate with what you're saying. And I definitely think I'm sure we can both agree. Like I wish this stuff was kind of talked about more, especially to young men. Like it's one of those things that I feel like, I don't know. I know so many people, it's just like nobody ever mentions that kind of thing. So I hope that. Oh, I know it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like I really hope that if there's any young men <laughs> listening to this, like myself, hopefully they got something out of it and I, I there's like it's funny talking to you there's so many things where it's like oh i want to dive into that but i'm about to have a bunch of noise by the studio so we better wrap things up there but thank you so thanks much for your lot. time hans hey, well thanks for asking me this has been i really appreciate it and, yeah um, that was really interesting and i'm super thrilled that you're doing the work which you are and i i think it definitely has to be done 
And I really hope that you're able to keep doing everything through the pandemic and all that. And do you want to just plug your site one more time or anywhere anyone should get in touch yeah, if they're interested? So, so whether you're a man or a woman, however you identify yourself, uh, you can find um, yoga classes, uh, training, and coaching at sacredbodies.ca. 